welcome to Heroes of Brand Protection Podcast, Episode 3. Welcome back to another episode of Heroes of Brand Protection Podcast. I am your host, Daniel Shapiro, Vice President of Brand Relations at Redpoints, the world's fastest growing brand protection software with a mission to make the internet safer for both brands and consumers. In these podcasts, we'll share stories and industry insights from some of the leading experts in brand protection from many different industries. We are happy you could join us today. Please check out all of our episodes on redpoints.com forward slash podcast, or find us on Spotify, SoundCloud, Apple, or Google Podcast. Today, we are thrilled to be speaking with John Howell, General Counsel at Hyperice, who will share with us his personal story and whose passion has been baseball, but on the rise is golf, leading toward his number one passion. Well, John, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for joining us today. We are thrilled to have you as our guest today. Thank you, Daniel. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited to be on and, and appreciate it. Well, listen, I wanted to ask you a series of questions today and, and learn a little bit more about your story and, and how you got where you got. And so uh, without further ado, maybe to open things up as as the general counsel for Hyperice, like how many coffees does it take you to uh, get the day going? Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's funny. Uh, you know, I, I really love drinking coffee, but it makes me jittery when I'm working. So, so most days, uh, most days it's none. Occasionally, uh, you know, when I'm going to have a, a later day, like I'll, I'll hit a decaf in the afternoon. Uh, but uh, it, it's actually kind of like the one of the unfortunate things because I love drinking it, but uh, it kind of like gets me too wired and doesn't allow me to do my job. So it's, that's more of a vacation activity for me at this stage. Uh, at least you know where your boundaries are on the on the coffee. Yeah, I'm addicted myself, so I, I have to get going quite a bit. So um, when you think about your um, career, maybe not just at Hyperice, but you know through through all of your career, is there an experience you think that sort of you know is one of those quirky, weird experiences that you know you tend to tell a lot, like a great story that happened? somewhere in your career yeah i mean i think i mean there's a, there's a lot of them i mean good and bad i mean i think i always think back to one you know kind of uh, really early on in my career uh you know making a court appearance in los angeles and uh in a time i i just kind of got embarrassed in front of uh a, you know an entire courtroom full of other lawyers by the judge you know and, and a type of thing where it was kind of really intentional on his part. And he knew he had kind of a, a young newbie who, uh, who, you know, maybe wasn't as well as prepared for the hearing as, as I could have been or didn't. And, and he took full advantage of it. So I think uh, I left, I think that day, you know, feeling embarrassed and, and angry and, and, uh, and, and to this day, probably don't think it was like the, uh, it was the kindest thing that happened, but it definitely like stuck with me. And, from a preparation standpoint, you know, it made, it made me, you know, want to make sure something like that would never happen again. Right. Yeah. I imagine that's sort of one of those things that sort of, as you were excited to be a young lawyer, uh, you know, it puts you in face with, well, you know, maybe not as easy as you think it is. Right. You got to <laughs> dial in. So. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, and, and understanding, you know, if you're, um, you know, when you're in the courtroom uh, as a lawyer, you know, there's, uh, 
you know, it's not a, a democracy, right? It's uh, <laughs> the judge is uh, the judge has all the power there, uh, and even over kind of behavior and everything. So I think, uh, yeah, I mean, that's definitely one that stuck with me. Uh, that's a great story. When you think about uh, as a young guy in school, what what did you think you wanted to be when you grew up? <laughs> yeah, I, I I wanted to be a, a professional baseball player. I think until I you know, until I got to about fourteen and realized that wasn't going to happen. Yeah, yeah, I mean, in school, like I was always kind of interested in government and uh, history, and and I think kind of the you know the a lot the traditional kind of interest that often leads somebody into uh, into law. Uh, but it wasn't, it wasn't like I had a plan that I wanted to be a lawyer. I think, you know, that, that came more, um, going to college and I studied political science in college and then, um, you know, kind of coming out and not knowing exactly kind of what I wanted to do. My, my older brother, uh, is a lawyer and he, uh, he's two years older than me, but he, you know, he'd gone to work and, uh, for a couple of years out of school and, and, uh, and went to law school a year before I went to law school. And so he kind of, uh, you know, you know, he did, he, he did the LSAT prep and then, you know, and, and did all the application process and all, all of those things that I think at, you know, when I did it, it made it a little bit easier because I, I didn't kind of have to figure everything out. And he, you know, like, I think there's, there's plenty of people who kind of know they want to be lawyers and it's like, it's kind of the culmination of a, of a long-term plan. For me, it was kind of, you know, just the, the timing and circumstance that, that led me down that path. And, you know, suddenly I was like, well, I'm, <laughs> this is what I'm doing, I guess, you know. Right. Where did you grow up uh, did, that you got your love of baseball? Were you like in Southern California where, where so many baseball players come from? Is that where you came from? Yeah, I grew up in, uh, in Orange County in Fullerton, California. Yeah. So, uh, you know, been a, been a huge Angel fan all my life. You know, one of the, uh, the saddest moment I think of my childhood was uh, was when the Angels were in 1986 when I was uh, I guess a nine year old. The Angels were one strike away from uh, from making the World Series, um, and uh, and everything kind of fell apart. Dave Henderson hit a homer off Donnie Moore. Right. Well, I, I was reading about your. Uh, I read an article about you that you were in not too long ago, and it talked about your uh, passion for sports. But I, I also saw that there might be like a golf passion there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, uh, you can't, can't play baseball much or, or not too many people at my age anymore. Right. We, I, we did the, me and buddies did the kind of slow pitch softball thing for a decade or so, but I haven't done that for, you know, several years now, but yeah, I mean, golf is kind of definitely my sport outlet at, at this point in time. Uh, I do an annual golf trip up to the Oregon coast to Bandon dunes every year with a group of buddies and, you know, and play, you know, play kind of as much, much golf as I can, you know, in, in kind of day-to-day life, which has been one thing that's been a little bit nice about, about the COVID work situation, because uh, it's just made in some ways things more flexible. So I've been able to play a bit more golf uh, during, during this time. Yeah, sure. Right. That's one of those things where even a bad day at golf is a good day. Yeah. I did want to ask you, when you started out as a young lawyer, uh, this is sort of going backwards just a second, but when you started out as a young lawyer, how did you know whether you wanted to be sort of in a law firm sort of career in your profession or, you know, move to like where you are today as a general counsel for Hyperice? How did you know that you wanted to be more corporate law versus? You know, obviously, um, 
the most common path I think for most lawyers is to, is to go into private practice, in, you know, in a law firm setting. I think, you know, there's, there's just more jobs in, in, you know, in that type of setting and, and uh, you know, either, either a law firm or, or a government type of job. And I, and I, so I think, you know, it's pretty hard to come into a, um, an in-house role, uh, you know, shortly out of school or right out of school. I mean, it does happen. Uh, but, you know, but, you know, generally those jobs, uh, you know, the, the in-house and, and certainly like a general counsel job, those are going to be jobs that, that require more experience and, and kind of putting in your time. So, um, you know, I, I always kind of hoped that I would end up in, in the kind of role that I have in a, in a, in a GC role, uh, because I, I think, you know, what I enjoy, I enjoy being part of a bigger team and, and not just kind of, you know, representing clients, but being part of a, you know, a mission, I think, you know, that we have is like, you know, we're one organization. And I think, uh, and I also really enjoy kind of the, the business aspects of, uh, of being, you know, like working at a company and, and, and it's not just, um, you know, it's not just, you know, writing briefs and going to court and arguing or doing deals. I mean, uh, certainly like, you know, the deal making process is, is something that I'm involved with, you know, constantly at Hyperice, but I think it's the, it's being part of like, you know, the bigger, you know, bigger, you know, business strategy and, um, and kind of company mission uh, that, that I really enjoy that, you know, is, you know, in a, um, in, in the private firm setting, I mean, I, I often kind of felt my, found myself, uh, you know, being an advisor of sorts to, you know, executives of companies that I, that I represented, but, uh, but it's different when you're on the inside and you're actually, you know, a part of that kind of internal team. And so, you know, I really enjoy that. And that's kind of always what I, what I hoped to be, you know, to have a role that was not only like solely about doing lawyer work, you know, but, but kind of more expansive. Yeah. Of course that makes sense. You think in terms of to be a general counsel, you really have to have multiple skill sets in the, in the legal world from, you know, HR to contracts to litigation. So that uh, makes sense that it's for that really high, high experienced, uh, person. And it made me think, uh, it sort of leads me maybe to the next question we haven't really shared with the, with the audience. For those who may not know about Hyperice, uh, maybe you could share a little bit about the company uh, and what the company does, because it's a really fascinating product and a fascinating company. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, the company actually goes back, you know, now like roughly a decade uh, when it started. It's a you know, we're, we're in the recovery space. So, uh, you know, we, you know, our goal is to help, you know, every human being on earth move better, basically, you know, from the, from the, you know, professional athlete, uh, down to, you know, a guy who's sitting in a cubicle, you know, at work all day and, uh, you know, and our products, you know, work for all those people, right. And kind of everybody in between, uh, old and young. And so, Hyperice, I, I represented the company in outside capacity for a long time uh, before I came in-house as well. And, and so, um, you know, it's been really fun to, to kind of, you know, on, on the outside, watch the company grow and then, and then being on the inside where um, we've got a number of products. You know, when we were talking, obviously, you know, before we, we, uh, we started recording here, uh, you, you show the Hypervolt that you guys have. And, uh, and so the Hypervolt that was launched in 2018 and and that, you know, we were a profitable company and, and a growing company before that. Uh, 
uh, with, uh, you know, our, our, our previous, you know, kind of big product uh, is a vibrating foam roller called the Viper. Uh, that was the original version. And uh, we've got a, a new version out now. But um, yeah, so we've got we've got a whole suite of products, uh, the Hypervolt being the one you, you, you see the most, but uh, but a whole line and, and 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 a number of them that are that are quite popular. Um, and so in this last year, you know, since I've come on, I, I think, you know, our company, uh, I came on in a really great spot, I think, to kind of, you know, because 2020 in a lot of ways has been kind of a coming out, you know, year for for the company um, in terms of, you know, kind of public growth. And, and we had really significant growth in, in 2018, 2019. Uh, but 2020, we've um, we acquired Normatech. Uh, that's, you know, the pneumatic compression uh, system. We acquired, acquired that company at the end of um, February of this year. And that, you know, is a has been a fantastic fit for the company, uh, you know, Normatech. Uh, you know, was was kind of the the other company outside of Hyperice that really kind of built out this recovery space. And so to join join into one has been huge for the company. Um, and we added the Normatech team. They were based just outside of Boston, and and, and you know we added them to our team. And so uh, kind of doubled the size of the company, you know, in, in a day with that deal. Um, and then you know just in the last you know four or five months, we've done deals with. With uh, the PGA Tour, uh, the NBA, the NFL, Major League Baseball, and uh, and UFC, amongst others, and so you know, I think uh, you know people might see our products. You know, if you were watching, you know, the World Series or the, the baseball playoffs here, you uh, you know, every time uh, you know a pitcher was warming in the bullpen, you could you can see you could see you know uh, our products kind of behind the mound, uh, and, and so I think people have been exposed here in the last few months, you know, through, uh, you know, the NBA partnership with hyper boxes that, you know, in, in the NBA bubble, uh, every NBA, NBA player had a, had a hyper, uh, hyper bolt, you know, uh, attached to their seat. Uh, and, uh, and, you know, you'll see them on the NFL sidelines or, uh, so, you know, I, I think, um, you know, we really, uh, you know, believe like we're we're helping people uh to live better lives through our products yeah what a what a great company and and it's all in uh you're, you're headquartered in southern california correct yeah so we're our our headquarters is in irvine uh, in orange county here uh and then we have uh about 50 employees uh in the east coast uh in in the boston area which was the you know what was formerly normatech headquarters uh, and, uh, and hiring, uh, we've got, I think three UK based employees now and, you know, a number of other, um, you know, bringing on a number of other employees, you know, both internationally and, uh, and, and a few other places around the U S as well as we grow here. Fascinating. I was going to ask you, uh, in, in those deals you have with like the PGA, the NBA, the UFC, do you have a occasional an athlete pop into the office, uh, checking out, uh, the headquarters of Hyperice? Yeah, I mean, I think that's one thing that that's uh, you know that's tough about the pandemic, right? Is and, and yeah, I, you know, that is something that I think you know uh, would occasionally happen, um, and hopefully, it, you know, it does again. You know, uh, when when life gets back to normal, we've been we've been working remotely, uh, you know, since March, uh, and so you know, I'll I'll pop into the office, you know, maybe once a week, uh, but but if I'm there, you know, it's typically. You know our CEO Jim Heather will be there, and, and maybe our founder Anthony Katz. Um, but you know the 
you know, that's, that's kind of the tough thing about, you know, the code environment is, you know, there's no, or not, not much real face-to-face -face time. You know, it's, it's mostly done remote over zoom or, uh, and, right. uh, and so yeah, hope, hoping to, hoping to get, you know, kind of back, uh, back to normal here, you know, at some point in 2021. Yeah, I think we we all we all hope for that, right? And yeah. um, uh, and I think this time with people working from home, uh, your product seems to be even more, as you described it, you know, even more sought after as people are trying to keep themselves in this sort of fit version without getting to a chance to get to the office. Uh, yeah, what's uh, the hardest thing you've had to do as uh, general counsel so far as you've been uh, marching down this path? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, um, like sometimes I think especially early, it kind of felt like, you know, drinking from a fire hose. You know, there there's so many um, there's so many different issues, you know, that I'm involved with kind of on a daily basis. And and so uh, you, you don't have the ability to kind of become singularly focused on one on one issue. Um, but sometimes it feels like, you know, it would, you know, if only I could like focus exclusively on this, on this item until I get it taken care of. Right. I think, you know, early on we, um, we were having a lot of problems with counterfeiters on Amazon and sabotage on Amazon. Um, and, and so I think, uh, you know, that, that was kind of one, one issue, uh, you know, de dealing with, you know, a number of months back is, you know, how do you break through with kind of this massive, uh, you know, being that is Amazon that, uh, you know, has such, uh, such power kind of in our, in our modern, you know, economy. Uh, it's, and, you know, it's just this behemoth, right? So it was like, um, but we were having huge issues there. It was having a, a significant impact on our, our sales. We sell, you know, on highprice.com, which is like our, our website. We, we do e-commerce and we're in all sorts of brick and mortar, including, you know, Best Buy and Nordstrom's and, a, and, a, and, a, and a bunch of other stores. But, um, you know, this Amazon piece, you know, felt like, you know, this is a, you know, a channel that, that could be effective. And not only that, you know, people think they're buying our products, but they're fine buying counterfeit goods. And how do we get buy-in from Amazon to, you know, to help us with that problem? Uh, and so, you know, that was kind of one of the, the pieces early on, you know, kind of going, you know, down three or four tracks to see, you know, like, how do we, how do we get buy-in? How do we get help here? And ultimately, you know, we were able to make a relationship there. Uh, and, you know, while it's not perfect, they've been really helpful, you know, and we have somebody that, that we can go to, uh, you know, it, when, uh, when counterfeit listings come up, if there's ever issues with our listing, if, you know, if there's any, anything, so it's just kind of protected that space and allowed us to, you know, have a lot more success there. Um, you know, so that was one issue kind of early on. And of course, you know, I'm working with a team on all this stuff, so it's never, you know, it, it's never all, uh, you know, success or failure, you know, is, is never kind of a, a individual thing. But, uh, you know, I think that was something that felt really daunting, you know, kind of in the early days. And it's felt really good as it's been more or less taken care of and, you know, uh, resolved, you know, here over the last, you know, five, six months. Yeah. Well, it's great that you've stayed on it and and, and built those relationships and uh, begin to tackle that uh, challenge for sure. It, it is what it is. And, and it's, and, it can be daunting, as you described, for sure. I was going to ask you in terms of, you know, when you think about uh, sort of the future of brick and mortar versus e-commerce, what's, what's the strategy 
you know, that, that hyper ice is, is sort of going down. Now, how do you balance the position of the product in the brick and mortar uh, versus e-commerce? Yeah, I mean, I, I think they're both, you know, they're both huge segments of our business. You know, I think, uh, you know, like COVID has, has changed some stuff. I mean, you, you referenced, you know, earlier about uh, how you think, uh, you know, it's a lot of people, you know, people are working from home, but they still want to see, be fit. And, and, you know, their gyms might be closed their you know, their uh, spas might be closed. We, you know, you know, we were in a lot of, and, and continue to be in a lot of, a lot of gyms, you know, uh, Equinox and, and a, a bunch of the chains, you know, carry our products uh, and, and sell our products. And, uh, you know, we're in every massage envy, right. And, and other spa partners as well. Uh, so, you know, we were impacted by, you know, you know, thinking back to March when all these businesses started to close. And then of course, you know, the, um, you know, the brick and mortars, like, you know, like Best Buy is a, is a huge customer of ours. And these, these big retail uh, brick and mortar spaces, you know, shut down for times as well. Right. Uh, and so th- there was a lot of uncertainty there. And I think, you know, we did pivot, I think at some level, um, you know, understanding that, the, the future was uncertain in terms of when, you know, kind of things were going to be able to get back to normal in those spaces. And so, I mean, I think right now we've probably benefited in a lot of ways. I think we've learned a lot from like what we've had to, like the adjustments we've had to make over the, the last, uh, you know, nine, 10 months here. Uh, and, you know, they're both, you know, I, I think we're going to continue to have a, a huge online presence, uh, you know, on, on hyperice.com and, and other, you know, partner websites uh, and Amazon. Um, and we're going to, I think, continue to do a ton of business in the brick and mortar world and, and, and try and continue to add, you know, uh, partners that we think, you know, are, are, are good fits for our brand. Uh, but, but they're both going to, I think, play a key, a key role going forward. Yeah, I think you're right. I think when I think about the challenges of online, offline, not not only for the, the sale of goods, but the challenge of like you mentioned earlier, you know, the counterfeit problem. There are counterfeits that are online. There are counterfeits that are offline. You know, you've got business online and business, you know, traditional e-commerce. I mean, that brick and mortar, and those challenges together can be causing to create, you know, additional strategies. Right. Yeah, I mean, I think you know the like the online. You know, I mean, in terms of like, you know, brand protection and, and counterfeiting and, you know, the IP issues, I mean, I think, you know, the online, you know, is just, it's such, such a much bigger problem than, than kind of the brick, brick and mortar. I mean, I think we will occasionally, you know, hear about, you know, uh, a brick and mortar, you know, selling a, a counterfeit good or, or using, you know, IP that they shouldn't be. Uh, but, it's generally it's 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 the online stuff you know and i think it's it's so easy um you know one thing that we see and and this has been you know like kind of following the amazon challenges is you know facebook and instagram ads i'd be on my phone and looking at you know instagram stories and you know following the hyperice feed there'd be an ad for a fake hyperice website you know and i think sure uh we still see those occasionally. Thankfully, like we've had some some fairly good success over the last few months, you know, attacking those as well. And that that again is through forming relationships with people at Facebook, right, to to help with that. And 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 they've been they've been a great partner as well in that. Uh, but you know, those type of things that if somebody's in uh, you know overseas in an overseas market making a website, 
they understand it's probably going to get taken down uh, sooner rather than later, but you know, they can, uh, you know, if, if they hit the Instagram feed for a couple, couple days, you know, uh, selling fake product, you know, I, I think, you know, those, those things are hard to get totally ahead of, you know, and, and at times it can feel like you're playing whack-a-mole. And I think the, my, my biggest focus there has been, you know, kind of a knowledge that you're never going to be able, able to eliminate it, but what can you do to make a significant dent in it and make it not worth the, the while of the counterfeiters, you know, to, yeah. to waste their time on our brand uh, and, and hopefully, you know, get them to move along somewhere else, you know? Exactly. You've got to apply pressure across as many channels as possible. And and the idea of getting to zero is something that's probably, you know, not possible, but certainly applying pressure across marketplaces, across social media platforms, yeah. across standalone, you know, uh, websites. That's the kind of thing I think that makes a big, big dent in the, in the problem and really hopefully detours them from you know, picking on your brand and, and unfortunately maybe they'll go pick on some other brand. Yeah. But I mean, the, the goal is to be proactive and uh, go get it. Yeah. And I think, you know, I mean, I think one of the, the things we did, you know, relatively early on was, you know, was get on the, the Red Points, you know, platform. And, and uh, you know, we previously before, you know, you know, utilizing Red Points were, you know, we we have lawyers, and I, we I work with them all the time, and I think we probably have lawyers in something like thirty countries right now. Um, but you know, the the idea of paying attorneys to submit takedown notices, you know, on a regular basis, just doesn't it doesn't make any economic sense. And and frankly, it, you know, beyond that, it doesn't even make sense from a uh, from a time standpoint because you know by the time the you know the takedowns are you know, are submitted and acted upon by, you know, Alibaba or AliExpress or, or Amazon, whoever it's going to be, you know, oftentimes the, the, you know, the, the listing's been up for a week uh, and it'll, you know, a new one will be up with, you know, two days later. Right? Exactly. So I think that, um, you know, the red points I think has been great because, you know, it allows us to obviously submit thousands of takedown uh, requests, you know, relatively easy. It also allows, you know, you know, I don't, I personally don't have to spend a whole lot of time using that platform. You know, there's other people in the company right. that, you know, we kind of trained to, to be able to, to do that uh, with kind of my oversight. And I, so I think that, um, you know, I think it's tools like, like that, you know, and, you know, re, you know, the red points platform, you know, Facebook has a, has a platform that you can apply to be on, you know, that, that, uh, that sellers can apply to be on and that works, you know, great as well that you can target, um, you know, advertisements that are being run uh, using, you know, keywords and, and that type of thing. And so I think it's, it's those type of like systems that really allow, you know, the, you know, people in my position to, to be able to get somewhat of an upper hand. Uh, and without them, I think, you know, it's, it's just feels like it's a, you know, an endless struggle that kind of doesn't really bear a whole lot of fruit, you know? Yeah, you've definitely demonstrated the concept of deploying multiple strategies because there's probably not a single strategy and that the theory of, you know, it may take different kinds of strategies for different kinds of problems. You know, I think you've shown uh, that uh, quite adept, adeptly in your um, uh, uh, business. I did have a, a question from you uh, previously in one of our podcasts. We spoke with Nicole Klug from Hugo Boss. And 
she wanted to ask you a question, which is she knows of your company and she wants to know if you could eliminate one thing in your daily life, what would it be? Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I think, you know, I love my job. It's like, uh, you know, I mean, I can truly say like, I mean, it's like, you know, there's no place I'd rather be. And, and, and I'm, I'm really excited kind of every day, every day is different, but if I could eliminate, if, if there was one part of, of my job that I would take away is probably is to be dealing with the regulatory issues. I did not come from, you know, a regulatory background at all. Uh, I, I did have, uh, you know, some, some intellectual property experience, uh, you know, more or, you know, or at least in kind of related fields. Like I, I taught at the college level for a decade, uh, teaching kind of a first amendment seminar that has a lot of overlap there, but, but the regulatory stuff to me is it's just, uh, it's dry and, you know, kind of hard, you know, hard for me to get, to wrap my head around, but thankfully, uh, we've got, we've got a couple of regulatory experts uh, in house and, uh, and uh, Steve Henderson and Scott Lambert. So, uh, so now, you know, I, I still have to have a role at some level, but I definitely, uh, you know, whenever I can try and, uh, you know, try and utilize those guys. Well, listen, it's, it's good. It's good that when you think about one thing you'd like to remove that you've got people, you could remove it too. That's a, that's a bonus situation for you. Absolutely. is, right. is there a, a myth, you know, in the world of being a general counsel that we need to debunk? People think, you know, you're living in, I don't know, your ivory tower, a sort of uh, finger on the button kind of thing. Is there a myth you think about that we should help others think about from a debunking perspective? I mean, uh, you know, it, it's hard to say. I mean, you know, this is, you know, I only know what I know and I, you know, and in my role at Hyperice, you know, I mean, I think. You know, I, I work in a it's a great environment with uh, with people that I really enjoy working with and, and and respect a lot, and we have you know just a really talented talented group of people. You know, so uh, I mean, I feel like it's like I'm just like I play the role that I play at our company, and like everybody everybody on our team plays a role. You know, uh, from like the CEO down to like our, the newest you know you know kind of youngest youngest hire, and everybody plays a, a really important piece. You know, so I think. Like for me, what I love, and I think, you know, what I would, what I would hope, like anybody in my position, to the extent you can, is just kind of being. It's fun to be a part of a team, right? And it's fun to, like, I, you know, like I, I enjoy, like, you know, obviously, I'm, I'm more at a senior level, and, um, you know, and, and, and both in like age, and, uh, you know, as well, and that, that we have, you know, I mean our company's filled with, with a lot of people in their twenties and thirties. And, you know, I'm like kind of, I'm, I'm ancient at 43. Right. You know, but I, I think that's, it's a lot of fun. I think to just to be a part of the group I get to go with and, you know, and, and, and play my role, you know, um, you know, I wouldn't trade it for anything. Well, that, that, listen, I, I think about your answer and it sort of jives with a guy who played uh, baseball. The team is important, right? It's not about one guy. It's about the team. So great answer. Uh, what advice would you give to a, a young person sort of up and coming uh, who's trying to figure out their, their career and maybe similar to you would like to be in the, you know, um, a private practice or not private practice, but in the a corporate world, what, what would you tell a young young lawyer coming out of school if you want to take this path that you took i mean i think the first thing is like just being honest that there's a lot of luck you know that goes into uh you know ending up kind of in a role like i had but but there are things that you can't control you know and i think like 
it's true to some extent, like you can make your own luck, but, but you can also do everything right. And it doesn't mean at the end of the day, like you're going to end up exactly where you want to be. But I think, I mean, I'd, I'd say two things that I think are, are really important. I mean, the first one's relationships. I mean, I think that, you know, I think you, you always have to come from kind of like a, a people first uh, worldview, you know, that like, you know, you treat the people that you come into contact with, uh, with respect and, and, and value them and understand that, you know, most career things oftentimes, you know, they don't come out of a random, you know, application. They come out of people that you've met along the way, uh, you know, people, you know, people who know other people. Right. And, and I think, so I think like it, and I think that and it's gotta be genuine too. Right. Cause I think people can kind of see right through the, you know, the, you know, kind of the schmoozers who are, you know, who are trying to form relationships solely for the purpose of, of furthering themselves. Right. So I think relationships, you know, I think that's, that's the biggest thing. And I, I think it's, you know, it's just, you know, valuing people. Uh, and then I think the second one, and, and, you know, I would say yeah, like relationships and then just kind of getting a breadth of experience because, you know, to be, I think, effective in a GC role, you at least, at least have to be able to, to be able to, you know, think and, and, and speak intelligently about, you know, a, a variety of areas of the law. Yeah. Well, early, that's great advice for uh, young people. I think whether you're in the legal business or uh, in the non-legal business, I think uh, the concept of uh, building relationships, paying attention to what's going on, getting uh, a wide range of experiences is probably very helpful to everybody in absolutely. their career. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, thanks. Um, when you think about, I'm going to just slide back to brand protection for one second, but when you think about the world of brand protection and the complications, whether it's you know, global e-commerce, you know, brick and mortar and so forth. Is there a company you think about who, uh, maybe besides yourself, who is really doing a great job out there, you know, protecting their intellectual property, you know, protecting their product and doing a great job? Is there someone that comes to mind from a company perspective? Yeah, I mean, I, I think, you know, who I probably would think it would be, would be probably Apple. I mean, there's a number of aspects I think that go into it that, that, you know, at least from the outside looking in, Apple does really well, you know, and I think product design is one of them. I think, you know, certain products are harder to copy than others. You know, I think that's something, you know, like our, our Bluetooth, you know, version of the Hyperbolt, you know, it's not as easy to, to copy Bluetooth, right. You know, to get that right. Like, uh, so I think design, higher tech, and, and we've, you know, I think, I think those things are harder to copy. And I think having kind of like that. Um, so, so I think that's one piece. I think, you know, they've, they've got a situation on Amazon, as I understand it, where they're effectively brand gated, you know, they're the only, they're the only entity that can sell Apple products. Uh, and, and we've, you know, we've pushed for that, you know, at Amazon as well and gotten kind of, you know, some modified, you know, protections along those lines. So, you know, a company like that, I think, you know, seems to do, to do a good job. Um, but I think that as we've seen, you know, like, there's no way to completely eliminate it, right? So I think all we're doing is is trying trying our best to to put a significant dent in it, you know, knowing it's never going to be perfect. Uh, and and that I think, you know, I think that you know happens all the way from kind of like the product design development standpoint, um, you know, all the way through, like kind of at my end, the actual like legal protection, and of course, like you know, making, um, you know, like we're very aggressive, you know, in terms of like filing patents and trademarks on our, on our products and, uh, you know, doing, you know, everything we can to kind of have the tools, you know, at our disposal to be able to, to protect our brand. 
Yeah. And, you know, really at the end of the day, uh, when you build, whether it's, you know, Apple or uh, most specifically, you know, Hyper Ice, but when you build a really quality product, something that is unique, that really gets a following like yours has with all the different um, sports federations and, 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 and groups that are following your product, you know, people are going to come after trying to figure out how to make a buck on your name. And so and it's the nature of the business. You build something this great. You know, that's the challenge of building something that's great. Um, maybe one last question uh, to wrap up. So n- the next series of podcasts we're going to do, we're speaking with Michael uh, Baima, who is the Intellectual Property Council at uh, Wall Clipper Corporation. What's one thing you'd want to know about about him? I don't know if you know him personally, but uh, as an interesting, uh, again, as another person in this in this uh, uh, business of intellectual property council, what's what what should we learn from Michael? Yeah, I mean, I guess like for me, I think it's always kind of knowing like you know kind of what you know what the biggest challenges that Michael's faced, uh, and I, I suspect some of them are probably similar to what what you know I deal with at Hyperice, but. Uh, and then I think, you know, what, what has he found to be successful? You know, I think it's a definitely like a, um, it's like you learn as you go and you kind of, you realize certain things that you think might work, like they don't work very well. And, and other things that, that, you know, maybe you, you initially, you know, kind of undervalued, like have a, have a significant effect, you know? So I think, I think anybody in my position, like we're, we're wanting to understand, you know, like what can give us like a, a, a further leg up, you know, in terms of, of dealing with the, like, you know, the challenges that, that we face. So yeah, I absolutely like to hear that, that from Michael. Well, thank you. Cause that's, that's helpful. We'll make sure Michael answers that question and you can listen in to his, his podcast and see how he answers your question. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Thanks, Michael. Well, listen, John, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been a pleasure to speak to you, a pleasure to get to know your background and how you got where you got to. And and your thoughts and strategies on, you know, protecting such a, a quality brand like Hyperice. So thank you again for your time today. Yeah, thanks. It's been great talking to you, Daniel. I appreciate it. It was very interesting to learn about your journey and the advice you shared with all of us about your own career because it really resonated to me. You mentioned playing team sports and business have a very common thread. And that is the team. The team is more important than the individual. And second, you mentioned people first. Worldview is respect and value people as good relationships open opportunities and doors. Well, that's it for us today. If you liked what you heard, check out our next inspiring story from another hero of brand protection. You can follow us on all of our platforms, Spotify, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, as well as Twitter and LinkedIn. Make it a good day.